It's good to see you this morning. I want to begin by just, let's just take a minute and just pray for each other. Can we do that? I want you to look around, kind of do as much of a 360 as you can without crinking your neck. All right. Let's take a minute and just pray for those people around you, those people that you made eye contact with. Fathers, we continue to worship, Lord. We just pray that, that, Lord, you would meet each need that's represented here today. Father, magnify Christ in each of our lives, and we just welcome you to come and to be yourself here today. In Jesus' name, amen. It's great to see you. On Wednesday nights, at least in the, the, I call the main Bible study or the big Bible study, the one that if you're not plugged into a small group, you're in that Bible study or involved in Awanas. We're going through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, this Wednesday we'll be in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. And so we're meeting in the Fellowship Hall, and so if you're not plugged into a small group or Awanas, love to have you come and be a part of that. Just a reminder again. Easter coming up in a few weeks. Uh, we're only going to have two services. We'll have an 8.30 and a 10.30. So make sure you mark that down. Just kind of put that away. And no matter how many times we advertise, people will still come at the regular time, all right? And so we're creatures of habit. If you guys come at 9.30, you're either going to be there for the end of the first one or really early for the second one, all right? So it'll be great. So just kind of tuck that away. I want to do kind of a modern-day parable, if I can. I want to suppose that all of us here are looking for work, and we're really kind of in a desperate mode, a desperate situation. And so I'm going to come out here in this section over here, which is lean today, this section and all those in the back under the overhang there. I'm going to hire you guys for 12 hours a day and give you $2,000 for the week, which would be considered a very reasonable amount, all right? So you guys, we work out a deal, and you say, yeah, we'll work 12 hours a day, $2,000 a week, all right? And so I go out a little bit later, and I hire this group here in this section right here, and those two in the back, and I hire you guys for nine hours a day. But instead of giving you an exact amount, I say, we'll work it out Friday on payday. How many of you have ever taken a job and the boss says to you, we'll work it out, what you get paid? All right, that would be really unusual, but if you were desperate and you somehow believed in the goodness of my heart, you would go out and work nine hours a day. And then I come to this section over here. And I say to you guys, I only need you to work six hours a day. It's getting better. But the pay may not. But anyway, I hire you guys for six hours a day. And I say to you, we'll work out the salary. We'll work it out. Trust me. And so you guys decide to do that. And this section over here, which is Roz, and those under the overhang over there. I say to you guys, three hours. I just need you for three hours a day. That's it. And we'll work out the pay. Don't worry about it. Just come and show up. And those in the balcony, I only need you for one hour a day. One hour a day. My brother-in-law in the early service even amen me. He was sitting up in the balcony. He was excited. First time I've ever heard him say anything in church. So you guys just have to come for an hour a day. And I, we'll work out the pay. Now, some of you say, it may not even be worth your while to come out for an hour a day. So at the end of the week, I start by those who just worked an hour a day, and I give you guys $2,000. 
Those who work three hours a day and you trusted me, I give you guys $2,000. Those of you that work six hours a day, yeah, you get the $2,000. Those of you that work nine hours a day, $2,000. And those of you that work 12 hours a day, five days a week, $2,000. Because that's what we agreed on. That's what we agreed on. Now, what would you think of me as a business person? Unless you worked one hour. You guys up there ought to love me. Best job ever. One hour a week, $2,000. I mean, it is the deal. Now, obviously, that would not be a very good business model, and I'm not suggesting that. But we're going to talk about a, a similar story that Jesus gives, talking about the grace of God. You know, the grace of God functions differently than a business model, of course. And so we're going to begin a little mini-series today on amazing grace. You know, I think about amazing grace, God pouring out that river of living water to people who really do not deserve it. But you know, in life, and we're going to look at the parable of the workers in the vineyard, but before we do that, just talking about amazing grace. You know, this song is probably one of the all-time, some say it's the most recorded song of all time. Written back in 1779, somewhere about that, I think that's when it was actually published, but it might have been uh, written before that. Some say it's been recorded over 11,000 times. I mean, all-time classic song. I don't know if this is true or not, but I have to believe someday in heaven, somewhere, sometime in heaven, we're going to all get around the throne and sing Amazing Grace. Because we're going to be amazed that we're there. Let's, let's just read the first verse together. I would sing it for you, but it wouldn't mean the same, all right? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, and now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And so the parable of the workers in the vineyards is really an incredible parable that teaches us about the grace of God, and again, the goodness of God. And so before we get into the parable, just a little background. In chapter 19, the latter part of chapter 19, Jesus told his disciples, it's really hard for a rich man to get to heaven. And the disciples were surprised. And they said, well, who then can be saved? I mean, they were shocked. And he said, well, with man, that's impossible. But with God, it's possible. And then Jesus went on to say, many that are first will be last and the last will be first. And then G uh, Peter went on to say, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. And he kind of got to that point that he said, Lord, what's... What's in it for me? We really didn't work out the details ahead of time, but I'm just kind of thinking, what's in it for me? And Jesus went on to say, everyone who has left houses or family for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold now and in the age to come eternal life. You know, in a way, when we start out with God, I mean, we're trusting the goodness of God. And Peter saying, hey, should we work something out? I mean, what, what's, what's in it for me? I just want to say, he gives this parable, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, to remind us how incredibly gracious God is. That God is far more gracious than what we could ever wrap our mind around. 
So let's read it together. Would you join me? And I put the time slots in here. That's not obviously in the original text, but just to give you an idea. So read with me the, the scripture. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning, about 6 a.m., to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them out. So the first group that he hires at 6 a.m., that would be this group, they work out a deal. Because if you're going to work all day, you got to know what you're working for. And so they agreed on that amount. And that would make sense. That would be what normally you would do is work out an amount, all right? These day labors, by the way, was a very common thing in Jesus' day and really hundreds of years before. It would be kind of like our manpower today, but day laborers were people that typically were very poor. They were people that when the harvest came and these vineyard owners needed extra laborers, they would hire these folks for one day at a time. And so they would gather at the marketplace just hoping by hope that someone would come by and hire them so literally they could eat that day. I mean, they literally worked day to day. It wasn't that they got paid every two weeks or every week. Literally every day they got paid. So these day laborers were needed for the harvest. And, and everybody that heard the story would understand that. They were the manpower of Jesus' day. All right, so they didn't apply online. They just go hang out at the marketplace. They were ordinary folks with no special job skills. They were just desperate. I mean, these were people, again, who needed to eat and put food on the table that day so they would show up. They lived in a day-to-day -day mode, as we already said. And actually, interestingly enough, it goes all the way back to the time of Deuteronomy where God talks about day laborers. He says in Deuteronomy 24, and you can read with me, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and it be a sin to you. And so all the way back in Deuteronomy, this concept that when you hire a day laborer, you should treat them right because they're depending on you. They're in a desperate situation, all right? And so they could easily be taken advantage of because of their desperation and their need for hunger and food. I mean, you could say, hey, I, I'll just pay you a little bit. I mean, you should never take advantage of someone who's in that desperate situation. Uh, they were less stable in many ways than even a slave. Because a slave, when you think about it, at least has somewhere to sleep. A slave has somewhere that he can have food every single day. And so these day laborers were really in an all-out desperate mode day by day. They worked for a denarius a day. Now what in the world is a denarius a day? A denarius was a coin the Romans invented around 211 B.C. And they say that a denarius was worth a day's pay for a skilled laborer and a soldier in the Roman army. So if we worked out a deal for $2,000 a week, our denarius a day, that would have really been a gracious gift. I mean, he could have got them for less than that. 
He was literally giving these common everyday folks the pay of a skilled laborer. So that was very gracious that he was willing to do that. All right. So then he goes out about the third hour, which is 9 a.m., which would be you guys. You'd have about nine hours left in the day. He saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go out in the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. Now, they were trusting. First group, they worked out a deal. They were going out for 12 hours. The second group, he says to them, trust me. And I want to say, how many of you have ever taken a job and the boss said to you, we'll figure it out later? Again, that wouldn't be very good business sense, but we're talking about the grace of God. Let me say this, that no matter how long or how little we've served God, his grace is always bigger than what we deserve, always. So he, he gets these at 9 a.m., and so they went out. And again, he says, whatever is right, I'll give you. And in this parable, again, I just want to remind you that God is way more gracious. I mean, God, how many of you have ever worked out a deal with God? I have. And so you kind of barter, like, Peter, what's in it for me? Let me just say this, even when you work out a deal, God is gracious. But if we'll just trust God, if we'll just trust God to do what is right, he's going to always give us far more than we deserve. So just know that the heart of God is, is to give you abundant grace and goodness. And then he went out about the sixth hour, which is noon, that's you guys, which is half the day, and then the ninth hour, which is you guys over there, just three hours left, 3 p.m., and did likewise. And then about the 11th hour, which is 5 p.m., that's you up in the balcony, you only have to work one hour. And he says to you, go on out and we'll make sure we, we make it right. They were standing idle, and he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. Now, it wouldn't make sense for me to go out and hire somebody for one hour. But again, the goodness of the landowner, he wanted to bless as many as he could, all right? So why were the 11th hour workers still waiting? Have you ever wondered if the day went from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., why would you still be there at 5 p.m.? There's only one hour left. Why would you still be in the, in the marketplace? I mean, I would have went home about noon, just kind of given up. But when they're there till 5 o'clock, one, they were either lazy people, maybe they slept in and just strolled down about 3, or perhaps they were bad workers. You know, the, the workers in the idle play, or the marketplace would kind of be like picking up sides in uh, sports. How many of you remember picking up teams when you were young? And so in our playground, it would always start out, no matter who was picking, they always picked Lonnie Land first. Man, he was big, strong, man, that guy could kick a kickball. I mean, he could kick it no matter how far back, he still kicked it over your head. And so they would start with Lonnie Land. They'd go to the next biggest. Down the line, they would pick the next biggest. Finally, they'd get down to the end and say, I'll take Roger. You take the two girls. All right. <laughs> but when these owners went to the marketplace, 
Can you imagine? Wouldn't that be where they would start? Man, they're going to take the strongest workers. They're going to take the most productive workers, and they're going to choose them first. So these that are left over at 5 o'clock, nothing personal up there. But they would have been pretty pathetic. I mean, they wouldn't have been able to do much. Or they were too old. Maybe they didn't pick them early on. Maybe they were still there because people thought, ah, they're, they're too old to be productive. Maybe they were too weak. Maybe they just had physical things saying, ah, they're just not going to really be able to do me any good. We'll just leave them at the marketplace. But I have to believe they were desperate. Man, when you're still there at 5 o'clock and it only goes till 6 o'clock, and you somehow, you got to be the most optimistic person on the planet to believe that if you're there at 5 o'clock, somebody's going to hire you. And yet the landowner hired him. Again, the graciousness of God. And so when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last and then the, to the first. And when those who came who were hired about the 11th hour, that's you guys, you only worked one hour, he gives them each a denarius, a full day's pay for a skilled labor. You guys only worked one hour. How many of you would be having a good day? I'd be high-fiving, woo, man, I'm going to get out there tomorrow at five, amen? And when those who came who were hired at the 11th hour, they each received a denarius, but when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise each received a denarius. Now, you just walked, you've been out there all day, the hot sun, 12 hours you've worked, and you've watched these characters who came in at 5 o'clock, you saw me hand them each a denarius. So you're probably thinking, yeah, yeah, more for me. But we give you, I give you the same thing. Because that's what we agreed on, right? Now let me ask you, am I cheating them? Are they going to feel good about me? You guys didn't even hesitate. I just want to say that human nature doesn't understand God's grace. Human nature somehow believes we have to earn it. We have to deserve it. Jesus is teaching because Peter was asking, Lord, what's in it for me? I believe he probably had to smile on the inside and think to himself, Peter, if you just understood how much God wants to bless you, if you'll just trust him and not worry about working out a deal, he wants to do far more for you than what you could ever imagine. But humanly speaking, it does not seem fair. The grace of God doesn't always seem fair from a human perspective. I'm just being honest. And so they go down. They were figuring they were going to receive more. And sometimes, how many of you know that oftentimes we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think? Now, you guys don't. But I mean, pastors. Pastors deserve a bigger mansion. Pastors deserve more. But once you get to know me, you'll say, no, that's not true. So those who had worked all day when they received it, they complained against the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour. 
You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this to the last man the same as you. Now, the truth is, and as he says here, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, the first will be last. Many are called, few are chosen. And so he says to these workers, is it okay if I, out of the goodness of my heart, decide to bless those who only worked one hour the same as I blessed you? Isn't that my right? And certainly it is the right of God. But from a human perspective, again, I'm just being honest, we kind of tally up everything we've done for God and somehow we expect more. I mean, you guys would say, man, I, I came and sat through all those sermons at Villa Ridge. I deserve big. I mean, those other people, man, they had 15-minute messages and they were out of there. I deserve more. I had to work with those youth. It was brutal. You know how hard youth camp is? But you know, most of us value ourselves higher than we ought to. That's just human nature. But again, if we'll trust the goodness of God, I think we'll know that God wants to give us far more, and he will give us far more than we ever deserve. And so the 11th hour grace, is it fair? Is it fair for God to bless those who come in at the 11th hour in the same way with us who have, have served God all of our life? I mean, I've been stuck in church all my life. I was going nine months before I was born. I was drugged to church when I didn't want to go. Surely there's a big mansion somewhere. Those people that come in at the 11th hour, I want you to know the grace of God is so amazing. It's so amazing. I just want to mention a couple people. Uh, the thief who got saved on the cross. Talk about 11th hour grace. It was 1159. I mean, he was almost at death's door. He was at death's door when Jesus looked over and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. I mean, he offered to that thief. And as far as we know, he had never done anything good. He never had to endure a message. He had done nothing good, and he wasn't going to get to do anything good. And yet God offers him eternal life. That, that doesn't seem fair. And I tell you, if I get to heaven and find out his mansion is closer to Jesus, I'm going to be ticked. <laughs> By the way, he may be right next door to me. God's grace is so amazing. And it's easy for me to see it about me, but I can't believe he would save them. I mean, I know why he's blessing me, but I don't understand why he would offer it to them. The thief on the cross, I think I mentioned before, when I get to heaven after I spend a few hundred years at the feet of Jesus, to see my mom, my, my niece, different ones who have passed on, somewhere in heaven I want to go talk to this guy. Now, I know there's no such thing as luck, but I would say, man, you are so blessed to have been able to die next to Jesus. Man, talk about getting in by the skin of your teeth. 
Yet Jesus offered him the same gift that he offered me when I was 13 years old and I received Christ. That's the goodness of God. That's the goodness of God. And as I was preparing this message, God brought up someone in, in past history that I was not thinking about. I would not have thought about. I didn't want to think about this guy right here. How many of you recognize this guy? Theodore, which he's known as Ted Bundy. One of the most wicked people that maybe has ever walked the face of the earth. Back in the 70s, he admitted to killing 36 young women across several states during the 70s. He was executed on January 24, 1989. The night before he was executed, he asked to be interviewed by James Dobson. And this week I went back and I watched it on YouTube. I'm going to tell you, it was hard to watch it. Because if you were alive during that time and, and know the heartache that he caused and the anger that you felt. And I know the attitude of many is, he deserves to burn in hell. And from all of his works, that would be true. But as James Dobson interviewed him, and he didn't blame anybody but himself. I mean, he was pretty transparent. He said he grew up in a Christian family. He grew up in a great home, a great mom and dad. But somewhere when he was young, in his teens, I think, he got exposed to violent pornography. And he doesn't blame it, but he says that opened his mind to that idea. And it's a progressive thing that gets worse and worse. And he talked about the, the, how pornography had a, a, just a bad impact on his life. And he chose it. I mean, he says, I chose that. And he was probably in prison almost 10 years before he was executed. And he said to James Dobson, he said, every single guy that I've met in prison, every single one without exception, struggled with pornography. That's a whole different sermon. But as James Dobson was interviewing Ted Bundy, he asked him if he had made peace with God. And he said yes. That he had given his life to Jesus. Now I'm sitting to myself thinking, I mean, I almost got my blood pressure up. That's not fair. How could this guy who has done so much evil, so much bad, how could he receive the same gift? When I went back and I looked at that this week, I had it in and out of my message like five times. I said, I'm not going to talk about it. God said, put it back in there. I said, I don't want to talk about it. I had him off of the message until this morning. God said, put him back in. Now, do I know for a fact that Ted Bundy is a Christian? I do not know that. But what I can tell you is that God's grace is big enough for Ted Bundy. And I thought to myself, what if I get to heaven and he's next door? I want to tell you the grace of God is just so amazing. It's so amazing. 
I thought about this song, and I was going to have us sing it, but I couldn't. I, I just couldn't. If we were to put his name, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like Ted. He once was lost, but now he's found, was blind, but now he sees. I can't hardly say that. And there's something inside of me that says that's so unfair. And I can't imagine if that was one of my daughters. But the grace of God is just so amazing. Some of the most undeserving. And can I just tell you, by the way, none of us deserve it. Everybody in the worker in the, in the vineyard, every single one of them, he was gracious to. Even the ones he gave a denarius a day, that was a very gracious, a very gracious wage. But the ones who didn't really work out a deal got better. So when I think about God's amazing grace, it's hard for me to put Ted Bundy there, but I know that he might be there. He is according to his own testimony. I'm probably more amazed that this guy is going to be there. Can I tell you, no one is more undeserving of heaven than me. Maybe you know of somebody over here on the left that you're going to be pretty amazed. I want to close by just reading this poem. Bill Wiedenhop sent it to me along years ago. You probably have seen it, heard it. It's called The Best Poem in the World. I was shocked, confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's door, not by the beauty of it all, nor the lights or its decor, but it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp, the thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, and the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never has said anything nice. There was Jerry, who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus. I said, hey, what's the deal? I'd love to hear your take. How'd all these sinners get up here? You must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so sober? Please give me a clue. He said, hush, child. It's because they're all in shock. No one thought they would be seeing you. Let's stand. As David comes, I, I just want us to sing Amazing Grace, the first and last verse. I know the goodness of God is so far beyond what I could express. But in the parable, he's trying to tell Peter, if you'll just trust the goodness of God, that God wants to give you so much more than you deserve. And I believe when we get to heaven and see what God has prepared for us, it's no wonder that we're going to just go immediately to the feet of Jesus. When we realize how undeserving we are, and yet God gave us his best.